Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Judges, Judges chap, chapter 8. And as we are in Judges chapter 8, uh, we've been going through the life of Gideon. And as we've been going through the life of Gideon, we know that uh, Gideon has displayed that uh, he was a man of great faith. But before he became a man of great faith, we know that he was a man that was filled with fears, with doubts, with excuses, with unbelief. And we know that he was transformed, and he was transformed into a man that exercised amazing faith. And as we talked about last week, he and 300 other men, imagine this, 300 other men besides Gideon confronted an army of 135,000 men. And as we looked at that event, we talked about just the great faith that Gideon exercised as he trusted in the Lord. As I mentioned last week, he, he basically saw the invisible, right? He saw what, what God had showed him and, and the victory that would be in God. And we know that through the Lord, he did the impossible. And this was a way for us to remember just the definition of faith, which is seeing the invisible and doing the impossible, and as we remember these things, it's, it's for us also to exercise this type of faith. As we go into chapter 8, we're going to see that the battle continues. The battle that Gideon was in with the 135,000 enemy soldiers. We know that they were there at the camp of uh, there in, in Jezreel, in the valley of Jezreel. The Midianites had camped out with the Amalekites. And there was 135,000 of them. And as we saw the battle last week, it continues on this week. And we're going to see also the life of Gideon as well as the ending of Gideon. And I want to share with you really what we're going to be talking about. See, when we look at the life of Gideon, it was a race, but it actually ends in a snare. And this is what we're going to talk about. Because you would think that after the great victory that Gideon had in the Lord that he would have lived his life differently. You would have expected him to do so much more. You would have thought that Gideon's faith, that his life would have progressed, but instead it moved backwards. And this is what we're going to talk about because I don't think we, this isn't really one of those stories that many people teach on or preach on, but you see a man here that his faith doesn't get stronger but his faith gets weaker. And so I want to make sure that we understand this because, see, any of us can fall into this type of walk. See, Gideon is an example of someone that, very much like the rest of us, that does not move forward, but he begins to move backward in his Christian walk. See, you would have expected Gideon, after such a great victory, to do so much more in the Lord. But he doesn't. And for us, it should be an example for us not to walk or not to do as Gideon did, but to finish our race strong. Especially now that we're living in the last days. It's about finishing strong, isn't it? It's about crossing that finish line. See, this is why there's so many scriptures that encourages us to run the race the race of endurance, to continue to run this race and to finish strong. I want to give you, I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race 
all run, but one receives the prize. He goes on to say, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And this is where I want to emphasize. It says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know, as we talk about this race, right, we talk about this race that, that Paul reminds us about, you know, running in such a way that you may obtain the prize. It's about finishing strong. It's not about moving backwards, but it's about running strong. You know, doing that sprint in the final days of our walk here on earth of this race that we have. Look at what Paul says at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, as Paul says this, right, this is something that is so dear to my heart. I mean, this is what I would want to say at the end of my life, right, at, before the Lord takes us, where I can have peace within my heart, saying that, you know what, that I have fought the good fight, that I have finished the race, that I finished strong, that I didn't finish weak, that I did not go backwards, but that I continue to walk forward as I walked with the Lord. See, our race with the Lord, it's not about how we start, but it's about how we finish. It's about finishing that race strong, and when we look at the life of Gideon, as you're going to see, Gideon didn't finish so strong. Gideon didn't leave us with a wow factor in his life. His faith was not exercised as, he, as it once was. And as we're going to see, in my opinion, he didn't finish strong. See, this is an example that he leaves us, right? A teaching to teach us. Not to follow Gideon in this respect. See, we know that men and women are not the standards, right? And we're going to see that today. We're going to see that tonight, that men and women are not the standards. And they weren't meant to be standards. But one thing about men and women of faith is that they will encourage us and inspire us, won't they? To say, you know what, look at how they did. Look at how they walked. See, because we're all the same, we're all weak. None of us are different, right? We all come from the same blood, right? We all come from the same mold, and, and yet there are some that make choices of faith. And there are those that continue to run the race with endurance, just like Paul, right? Just like Paul as he ran the race with endurance. We know that Jesus knows our weaknesses, Right? Jesus knows him. And because Jesus knows our weaknesses, one thing that he does is he gives us a helper. And this helper that he gives us, right, is called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to teach us, to strengthen us, to give us a power that if we would yield to him, that we could do amazing things in the Lord. Amazing things like no other. And that is because of who he is, and as we yield to him. 
I want to go ahead and read all, read Judges chapter 8, and let's go ahead and read it all, and then we'll get a glimpse of what I'm talking about, and then we'll go back and expound on these verses. It says here in verse 1, it says, Now the man of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. So Gideon said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted but still in pursuit. Then he said to the men of Sukkoth, Please give me loaves of bread to the people who follow me. For they are exhausted, and I am pursuing, pursuing Ziba and Zelmunah, kings of Midian. And the leaders of Zukkoth said, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunah now in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, For this cause, when the Lord has delivered Ziba and Zalmunah into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Then he went up from there to Pinuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Pinuel answered him as the men of Sukkoth had answered. So he also spoke to the men of Pinuel, saying, When I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. Now Ziba and Zalmunah were at Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who were left of the army of the people of the east, for 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. Then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in tents on the east of Nobah and Jogbihah, and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. When Zebal and Zalmunah fled, he pursued them, and he took the kings of Midian, Zebal and Zalmunah, and routed the whole army. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle from the ascent of Herez, and he caught a young man of the men of Zukoth and interrogated him. And he wrote down for him the leaders of Sukkoth and its elders, 77 men. Then he came to the men of Sukkoth and said, Here are Zebal and Zalmunah, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zebal and Zalmunah now in your hand, that we should give bread to your weary men? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Zukkoth. Then he tore down the tower of Pinuel and killed the men of the city. And he said to Zebal and Zalmunah, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? So they answered, As you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. Then he said, They were my brothers the son of my mother, as the Lord lives. If you had let them live, I would, not, I would not kill you. And he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a youth. So Zebal and Zalmunah 
said, Rise yourself and kill us, for as a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camels' necks. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you, that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, We will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment, and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes, which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around their camels' necks. Then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in his city, Ophrah, and all Israel played the harlot with it. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted their heads no more. And the country was quieted for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Then Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his house. Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine was in Shechem, also bore him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, in Ophrah of the Abizarites. So it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal berith their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbaal, Gideon, in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. You know, as we look at this, right, we see a man that continues to be in this great battle for the Lord. He has a great victory in the Lord. And we see how he goes ahead and he destroys the remaining 15,000 enemy soldiers. But after this, something happens. After this, Gideon, there's a, a change of, of heart. Something happens to this man. And then we see his life, how it ends. And it talks about this snare that was for Gideon as well as his household. And then it talks about the death of Gideon and how no one had respect for him or for his family. This man had an amazing faith. It started with great faith, right? And it just seems to just fizzle out. Not that it goes away completely, but it turns into a weak faith, faith versus this strong faith or this great faith that he started with. So now let's go ahead and, and read the scriptures and let's go ahead verse by verse and see what God has to share with us when it comes to Gideon. It says here in verse 1, now the men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? 
and they reprimanded him sharply. So he said to them, What have I done in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. What we have here is we have this tribe, right, this, this tribe of Ephraim. And when you look at the tribe of Ephraim, this, this tribe was a mighty tribe when it came to the tribes of Israel. And as we look here in Judges 24 and 25, it talks about the, 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 the tribe of Ephraim because Gideon went and sent messengers to the mountains of Ephraim. Remember, these were this tribe that wanted additional land in the promised land. And so Joshua tells them, then go in the mountains and go conquer the Canaanites. And so this is where they dwelled, right, the tribe. And Gideon tells them in verse 24, come down against the Midianites and seize from them the watering places as far as Beth, Berah, and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth, Berah, and the Jordan. And they captured the two princesses of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. So you see here, right, you see this tribe. And this tribe, I want to remind you of, that they were the brother tribe of the tribe that Gideon came from. See, in Judges chapter 6, verse 15, it tells us there that Gideon came from the tribe of Manasseh. And Manasseh and Ephraim, remember, these were the sons of Joseph. And as the sons of Joseph, remember, they were, they were brother tribes, right? These were the double portion that, that Jacob gave to, jo uh, to Joseph. And so they received two lands there in the promised land, two portions of land. And so... We know one thing about Ephraim. Ephraim was a very large tribe. And because they were large, they were a very prideful tribe. Let's read this in Joshua chapter 17. So if you open up your Bibles to Joshua 17, we're going to read about the pride and the size of Ephraim. If you open up, if you turn to verse 14. In verse 14, it talks about the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh. But you're going you're gonna to see just what they thought of themselves. Here in verse 14, it says, Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given to us only one lot and one share to inherit? Since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So you sort of see the size of this tribe of Ephraim, right? So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself. There in the land of the parasites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Beth Shean and its towns, and those who are the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. 
you shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. So you see here, right? You see here the, the tribe of Ephraim, they consider themselves to be great people. They consider themselves to be a great, uh, a great number of people. And so Joshua agrees with him and says, hey, guess what? You are great. And because you are great, you know what? You do deserve an additional inheritance. And in that, go on, go capture it, go conquer it, go drive out the Canaanites. See, Gideon knew because he was from the tribe of Manasseh. He was with them, right? He knew also the size of the, of the people of Manasseh. And one thing that he knew, he knew his prideful brother very well. He knew that if he would have called the tribe of Ephraim, remember, Joshua immediately called the men, right, the tribe of Manasseh, and, and, and these men that came down were 35,000. Imagine if he would have called the tribe of Ephraim with them. All of these great men would have come down, right, these, these soldiers, these, these prideful men. And imagine if immediately Gideon would have begun to say, okay, you know what? You guys go home. You guys go home. What do you think the tribe of Ephraim would have done? Remember, they're prideful people, right? They would have been extremely upset at Gideon for letting them go. They would have said, no way. Let us all go together, right? Because this was the heart of these prideful men. And we know that these men would have wanted to fight because, see, these, this tribe, the tribe of Ephraim, they were warriors, when both Ehud and Deborah and Barak went into battle, they called the tribe of Ephraim. This tribe was called to battle with them. And we know that Gideon knew exactly what he was doing. If he would have called them to battle, then he would have had a hard time getting rid of them. And God had a plan, right, that I am going to conquer with only 300 men. And so Ephraim would have been a burden but Ephraim, I want you to know this, Ephraim wanted to be there. Ephraim wanted to fight this battle. They knew the spoils that were going to be there, right? They knew that there was going to be 135,000 men. And they knew all of this. And so they were angry. They were upset. And so what Gideon does is he does something that is extremely tactful. See, when we look at Gideon, he knows how to deal with people that are angry. He knows how to deal with people that are upset. And this is something that I think every single one of us should begin to put into practice. That every single one of us should begin to do. This is something that I learned because, see, I had a way of responding to people the way they responded to me. And when I read this scripture, which is Proverbs 15, verse 1 and 2. What it says here, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightfully, but the mouth of fools pours, out, pours forth foolishness. See, Gideon. Gideon knew how to respond to angry men. See, you and I, whenever we are faced 
faced with anybody that comes to us and they're screaming at us. I want you to try this because I began to practice this and this is when I really began to understand that the scriptures work. The, the scriptures are truth and if we begin to exercise them, then you're going to see how the scriptures will work with those around you. See, when people began to scream at me, I began to practice a soft answer. I began to practice and to exercise responding softly. And you will see how everything begins to change. Because see, when somebody comes at you angrily, right, they expect you to respond angrily, right? They're looking for a fight. And when you don't respond with a fight, guess what? Things change, right? Their perspective changes. They're like, you know what, how am I supposed to respond now if they're responding in love, if they're responding with a soft and a wise answer? What am I supposed to do after that, right? So it changes their outlook and it changes their response. And this is exactly what Gideon does. Gideon tells this tribe of Ephraim because they're upset, right? I mean, these guys are prideful. These guys are, 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 are pretty, you know, pretty pretty mean dudes, right? And they wanted, they're warriors, and they wanted to fight. And so they come to Gideon upset, and Gideon tells them with a soft answer. He tells them in verse 2, he says, Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? What he was trying to say is was, what he was trying to say is was, what he was trying to say was, that the gathering of the grapes is greater than what they were before in Abiezer. See, they lived in Abiezer, and now they were through with all the, their enemies, right? They could now gather the grapes. And what he was trying to say here, he was giving them an illustration because he was saying that God delivered the two kings of Midian into your hands. Isn't it better to destroy the kings and to destroy their soldiers? If God has delivered this into your hands, isn't it the prize to get the kings versus the foot soldiers? See, this was for, for anybody, right? Anybody that's in warfare, when you know that you took out the head, it's greater than taking out the rest, right? And this is what he was responding. This is how he responded to them. Hey, you know what? You guys got the best. Of the tribes. You got the best of the enemy. You got these two kings and you killed them. And so, with this response, as he says it softly, right? As he says it without anger, it says there at the end of verse three that their anger toward him subsided when he said that. And so, let's keep reading on. It says, When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted but still in pursuit. Then he said to the men of Sukkoth, please give me loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing Ziba and Zalmunah, kings of Midian. And the leaders of Sukkoth said, are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunah now in your hands, that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, for this cause, when the Lord has delivered Ziba and Zalmunah, into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Then he went up from there to Pinuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Pinuel answered him as the men of Sukkoth had answered, 
So he also spoke to the men of Pinewall, saying, When I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. So what you have here is really just Gideon that after he has this discussion with the tribe of Ephraim, he, he goes back in pursuit, right? He goes in pursuit of these two kings that got away. Remember when the battle took place there at the camp, when Gideon went with the 300 men? Immediately, they began to fight against themselves, and they began to kill themselves. And so, as we see this happening, right, we know that some of these got away. And we're going to read about this in verse 10, that some of them got away. Not all of the 135,000 were killed. And let us be reminded that the Amalekites were there, right? There were all of these men that were there. And most of the time, whenever there was a battle, the kings would also go and participate in the battlefield. See, the kings of the Amalekites as well as the king of the Midianites, they would go also to fight with their men. Remember when King David would go out to battle? He would also participate in the battle. This was part of, uh, uh, of being their king, right? They would participate in the battlefield. And so what uh, Gideon finds out is that two kings of the Midianites escaped. And so he knows that they escaped with some men. So what he does is he pursues them. And what's amazing about this is that we have 300 men that are pursuing, as we're going to find out, 15,000 men. Think of it. 300 against 15,000, right? The odds are against them. And so as they're pursuing them, understand this, is that they come to the Jordan River and they're going now east of the Jordan, no longer west. They're moving out of what we have Israel today. Now they're going into the Jordan, east of the Jordan. And when they come into the city, which is a city of the Jews, it's a Jewish city, they find their brethren there. And this Jewish city is called Sukkoth. And so what happens is, is that they go in there, right, and they ask the men of the city, the leaders, hey, you know what, we're exhausted. You know what, we want food, we want water. And guess what these men say? They say, we ain't helping you. Can you believe this? This is their Jewish brethren. This is their own family. They tell Gideon and their men, we ain't helping you. And what is, how does Gideon respond? See, we need to remember that Gideon was the anointed leader, the new judge of the Jews. And so these men of Sukkoth, as well as we're going to see of Pinuel, they're rebelling against their new ruler. They're rebelling against this leader who is Gideon. And this happens. This isn't the unfortunate thing, right, that this happens in the life or in the families of God. And this is an unfortunate thing because, see, this is the ugly part of Christianity, the ugly part of Christianity is the fact that brethren don't dwell in unity. And this is what it says in Psalms 133.1. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. Unfortunately, we know that in the house of God, as we see here, unity always doesn't prevail. Instead of backing up those that they were with, right, instead of backing up their new leader, they rebel against him. 
See, they rebelled against the chosen of God. And what Gideon tells them is, he says, you know what, when I come back, I'm going to deal with you. See, when it comes to people that rebel, understand this. God will always deal with those that rebel. He always does. In his timing. It's not in our timing, it's in God's timing. Rebellious hearts will always be dealt with by the Lord. And so what happens here is that Joshua, I mean, is that Gideon, Gideon, he gets upset, right? And he tells him, you know what? We're going to just, I'm going to deal with you when I come back. As we see this, right, we see the fact that Gideon moves on. He doesn't deal with him there because he's on a mission. He's on a mission to, to go ahead and, and to pursue the enemy. And so this is what happens in verse 10 as we, as we keep reading on. It says, Now Ziba and Zumanah were at Karkor and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east, for 120,000 men drew the sword had fallen. Who drew, who drew the sword had fallen. Then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in the tents on the east of Nobah and Jogbihah, and he attacked the army while the camp fell secure. When Ziba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them, and he took the kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and routed the whole army. What we have here is what I shared with you. 15,000 escaped, okay? And the two kings were with them, right? And they arrive in Karkor. And we know that they're there and they're camping out. And what happens is that Gideon does a surprise attack. Remember, Gideon only has 300 men. And we know that there's 15,000 enemy soldiers. And we see again that Gideon has a victory. And we know this to be a fact because any time that God is with us, it doesn't matter how great we are or how small we are. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? We're going to have a victory when it comes to us that have the Lord. And so Gideon does this surprise attack. He defeats the 15,000 men and the two kings are captured. And let's keep reading on. It says, Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle. From the ascent of Herez, and he caught a young man of the men of Sukkoth and interrogated him, and he wrote down for him the leaders of Sukkoth and its elders, 77 men. Then he came to the men of Sukkoth and said, Here are Ziba and Zalmunah, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunah now in your hand, that we should give bread to your weary men? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Sukkoth. Then he tore down the tower of Pinuel and killed the men of the city. You see how, you know what, Gideon, after he captures the kings, he comes and he shows them, look, you didn't want to help me before, right? See, the men of Sukkoth and Pinuel, they feared that Gideon would not conquer them and that these Midianites would come back and that they would kill the whole city, right? The city of Sukkoth as well as the city of Pinuel. And so what you have here is that Gideon comes back to show him, look, I did what I told you I was going to do. And because 
you rebelled against me and you didn't support me. So guess what he does? He does what he promised to do. He destroys all the men of Sukkoth as well as Pineal, the tower, and he kills all the men. Let's keep reading. In verse 18 it says, And he said to Zebal and Zalmunah, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? So they answered, As you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. Then he said, there, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. And he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a youth. So Ziba and Zalmunah said, Rise yourself and kill us, for as a man is so, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmunah and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camels' necks. We now have a shifting here, right, to these two kings. What is Gideon going to do with these two kings that he captured? One of the things that he, that he, want, he wants, he interrogates him, right? He wants to find out something. And he tells these men, these kings, Ziba and Zalmunai, he says, what kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? He asked them this question, right? And for us, as we look at this question, we're thinking, why would he ask this question? See, Gideon wants to find out who is it that killed his brothers at this location in Tabor, no, we're not told or we're not given insight on this location in Tabor, but we know one thing, that there was a great slaughter there. And the slaughter included the children of, I mean, the brothers of Gideon. And so what Gideon is doing now, he's having vengeance, right, on this. Remember, it was, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And especially with the enemy, what he does here is he basically just says, as you did, so I will do to you. In other words, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill you both because you killed my brothers there at Tabor. And so what he does is he asks his son, he asks his son, I want you to go ahead and kill them, right? And his son, who's a youth, becomes afraid. He says, you know what, I don't want to kill them, right? And I want you to understand this, the kind of death, especially in the battlefield, was something of importance to kings. Do you remember King Saul? In his final day, in the final battle, when he's wounded and he tells his armor bearer, he says, I want you to kill me. I don't want to fall into the hands of the Philistines. This was because he didn't want to die in a manner of dishonor in the hands of these Philistines that they looked what, down at. And this is the same way. See, what Gideon wanted to do is he wanted to ridicule. He wanted to dishonor these kings by having his son, a youth, kill both kings. See, this would have been dishonorable for this man, for these two kings. But the son doesn't do it, and so they ask Gideon to kill them. And, of course, what Gideon does is he kills him. What we're now going to move into is really the message or the theme of this message and I know I don't have much time but this is the lesson that God wants to hear us wants to share with us wants to teach us see at the end of this verse there is something that is revealed about Gideon 
There is a different side of Gideon that emerges, and I truly believe this is why we are given this insight at the end of verse 21. It says, at the end of the verse, it says, and Gideon took the crescent ornaments that were on their camel's necks. The camel's necks, the necks of the enemy. See, we see now that there is something that is emerging in Gideon. After Gideon has his victory, something happens to Gideon. We don't know what, but the writer here tells us that he takes the crescent ornaments. See, I truly begin, believe that Gideon began to have a covetous heart here. He began to be consumed with riches. Look at what Matthew 6, verse 24 tells us. It says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. See, I believe that this is where we get a different side of Gideon. Gideon somehow changes from his faith being stronger and great to a faith that becomes weaker because there's something else that begins to consume the heart of Gideon. See, we would have expected Gideon after this to bring the people into a place of complete worship of God, but he doesn't do that. Instead, we're going to read here in verse 22, we're going to read that things begin to change. I'm sorry, in the next few verses, we're going to read that things begin to change. And I want to talk about this, see, because this can happen to us. See, as men and women of faith, we can't begin to become consumed with other things besides God. And I want you to understand that these things will begin to take precedence over the race that you're in. As I mentioned when we began this study, it's about finishing strong. It's about finishing the race it's about that final sprint in life. And I want you to understand that if there's something in your life that will hinder you from finishing strong, you and I need to get rid of it. We need to run from it. We need to turn from it. Whether we know, whatever we know can bring us down or hinder our relationship with God, we need to get rid of it. And I want to speak here to each and every one of us. If we know that our jobs are going to hinder our relationship with the Lord, then we need to leave the jobs. If we know that our friends are going to hinder our relationship with the Lord, then we need to leave those friends. If you know that somebody that you're dating is going to hinder your relationship with the Lord, then you need to end it. If you know that your quest or your desire for money and to continue to have money and money and money is going to hinder you from finishing the, the race with a sprint, then you need to leave it. If you know that the internet is going to hinder your relationship with the Lord, then you need to turn off the internet. See, these things will hinder our relationship with God. Whatever weight you know that is before you that will disqualify you, Whatever sin you have that will break your relationship with God, you need to get rid of it. I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You and I have been called to finish this race strong. You and I have choices to make. Are we going to continue to allow these things to hinder our walk? Or are we going to lay them aside? Are we going to get rid of them? I truly believe that Gideon didn't finish strong because he had these weights that ensnared him. He didn't cross that finish line with a sprint because his heart desired more. It desired something more than the Lord. This man, I want you to know, he is in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, verse 32. But I do not believe he finished this race strong. And let's read about this. In verse 22, it says, Then the men of Israel said to him, This is right after the battle, Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Here he responds appropriately, right? Here he responds the way he should respond, right? He's responding to the men of Israel. You know what? I'm not going to allow. I'm not going to rule over you. Let the Lord rule over you, right? His response is perfect. These people of Israel, they wanted a king. And we know that God didn't give them a king after or a leader after Joshua. See, when Moses passed on, he said, I want you to anoint your next leader, which was Joshua. But after Joshua passed on, God said, I am not going to have you anoint another leader after, after you, Joshua, because I want to be the king of the people. I want to be the rulers. But we know the hearts of the people. The hearts of the people were wicked, right? The hearts of the people were disobedient. And we know that they wanted a king, and we know that they asked for a king in the days of Samuel. Look at what it says here in 1 Samuel 8, chapter, uh, verses 4 and 5. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So the people wanted a king, and they began this from the time of Gideon, right? We know that their hearts always wanted a king like the other nations. They weren't satisfied with the Lord that was ruling over them. And look at what happens after this. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, we will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment and each man threw it into it, the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold of the earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around their camels' necks. So what you have here is you have the fact that Gideon asked for gold. Gideon asked for gold, and many of us may not think that there's anything wrong with this, Right? But there is a lot that is wrong with this because this is the future leader, the, or he is the leader, the judge of Israel. Do you remember when Abraham fought the king of Sodom? Do you remember when he got all their plunder? 
he gave 10% to the Lord, right? And he didn't ask for anything from his soldiers. But you have here a man like Gideon. Remember, he saw the camels, brittles, or the camels, what did it say? The camels, uh, 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 the crescent ornaments on the camels' necks. And he wanted him. In other words, you have here a change that is going on in Gideon that he's pursuing riches. He's pursuing the things of this world. Did you know how much gold, how many, how much the golden earrings amounted to? It was 42 pounds of gold that he received. 42 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold. And not only that, but he received so much more from them. See, I want you to remember Gideon, how he started. Remember, he started with humility, with fear, with insecurity. And then immediately he has this great victory, right? Victory, a victory of faith. And now he's asking for gold. He's coveting possessions. Look at what it says, or hear what it says in Luke 12, verse 15. This is Jesus says, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What this is telling us is that the love of money moves people to stray. See, God doesn't want us to focus on earthly wealth and possessions. Or we're going to fail to serve God and to worship God. But God tells us in his word to seek first the kingdom of God in Matthew 6.33 and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. See, our heart's desire should be to store up riches in heaven and not on earth. And this is what Gideon was doing here. I, I want to be clear here. I know that Gideon didn't stray from the faith, but Gideon wasn't progressing. See, I want you to know one thing, that Gideon wasn't taking steps forward in his faith, but he was taking steps backwards. And this is what can happen to many of us. See, what happens to us is that instead of getting better and instead of uh, uh, progressing, we begin to compromise. See, and for us, if we know that something is keeping us from moving forward, then we need to get rid of it. This is what Hebrews was telling us. The writer of Hebrews was, if there's anything that ensnares you, if there's any sin that is, that is going to do this to you or if any weight is going to bring you down, then you got to get rid of it. Don't allow it to bring you down. See, we are to acknowledge it. We are to stop it. We are to get rid of it. And we are not to go after it anymore. This is what repentance is. See, let us not allow things to take our passion away from the Lord. Let us not allow things to take our zeal away from the Lord. Let us not allow things to take this fire that is burning in us away from the Lord. And this is what possessions do. Do you remember what Paul said to the church in Corinth? Let us run this race with endurance. Let us not allow anything to disqualify us. And this, if there is anything that prevents you from finishing the race strong, then let's get rid of it. 
Let's stop pursuing it. Let's stop following it. Because look at what happens to Gideon. In verse 27, it says, Then Gideon, with the gold, he makes it into an ephod, and he sets it up in his city, Ophrah. This is where he was born. This is where he was from. This is what we read, where he was at the wine press. And all Israel played the harlot with it. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Can you believe this? Gideon gets some of the gold and he makes a golden ephod. This ephod, I want you to know, he makes a statute of an ephod. Do you remember what an ephod was? An ephod was a priestly garment that the priest wore. And he makes a, a golden image of this and he puts it in the city. And people begin to worship the ephod instead of worshiping God. This is what he erected. This is what he put there, right? This was what ensnared him. This was a snare to Gideon. And this is what easily can become a snare to us. If we begin to love possessions, if we begin to love the things of the world, if we begin to allow these things to bring us down, whether it be our job, relationships, money, the internet, whatever it is, if it will bring you down, you got to get rid of it. I have seen people of faith that deteriorate because they go after these things. They take jobs that pull them away from the Lord. And they're saying it because they prayed about a job, but they, weren't, they didn't get the right job. God didn't open that door, and yet they took it. And they're no longer serving the Lord. They go into the Internet, and they know the Internet is bad, and they have a problem with pornography, but they continue to watch pornography, looking at it and allowing it to destroy them. This is what happens, and this is what you see with Gideon. Gideon didn't finish strong. I'm not saying that he left the faith, but he did not finish strong. And that's not for us. God desires that we should run this race with endurance and that you and I would sprint through that finish line. Gideon was such a great man of faith. We looked at the victory that he had to take 300 men and to defeat an army of 135,000 men. What a man of faith to know that God would do it through him with just having a horn, a torch, and a pitcher and to deliver the people from the Midianites. And look at what his life amounted to towards the end. As we look at this, right, don't let sin ensnare you. Don't let sin capture you. Don't let sin trap you. Don't let sin entangle you. Don't let these weights bring you down. How many of us look at our lives? I want you to think about this. How many of you here are looking at your life and saying, I remember when I was like this. I remember when I was exercising great faith. I remember when I was walking with the Lord and God was doing great and powerful things through me. And what's happening today? God isn't going, working through you the way he used to work through you, right? God isn't doing these great things through you anymore. Why is this? What sin has ensnared you? What weight is pulling you down? And this is what God wants to remind us today that you and I are to be watchful, we're to be on guard. See, after the victories of faith, understand this, 
We can rest in our victories, and the devil can easily come in, and he can just bring us down. This is what we see here, right? This is what Peter reminds us of too, right? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Peter reminds us, always be watchful, always be alert. Take heed, lest you fall. And this is what happened with Gideon, right? Gideon himself began to worship the ephod. Imagine this. Instead of worshiping the Lord. And look at what it says here in, the, in verse 28. It says, Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted their heads no more, and the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. In spite of Gideon, God's grace poured out upon the land of Israel, that during the life of Gideon, they still had peace and rest for 40 years. But let's look at the final life. Let's look at the life of Gideon in his final days. In verse 21 and 29, it says, Then Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives, and his concubine was in Shechem also bore him a son whose name he called Ambimelech. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father in Ophrah of the Abiezerites. So it was as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal bereath their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Gideon in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. I want you to know one thing here. When we look at Gideon here, Gideon all of a sudden, even though he didn't want to be king, he begins to act like a king. Look at this. Verse, 20, 20, verse 30 tells us, that he had 70 sons who were his offspring, for he had many wives. Imagine this. This isn't what God called him to do. But yet he had now many wives, and he had 70 sons. And his concubine, he also had concubine who bore him a son named Ambimelech. And we're going to talk about Ambimelech next week. But as we can see there that all of a sudden he's not living the way he should be living. And he's not doing as he should be living, but he's now filled with riches, with women, with children. And we know that he dies and they bury him with, in his father's grave. But if you look at verse 35, no one showed kindness to the house of Gideon in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. As we see here, right? What, what do we remember Gideon for? I want to share this with you. We always remember Gideon as a great man of faith. But we also have to talk about the other side of his life. He, he didn't move forward and upwards. He moved downwards and backwards. See, we have to talk about this side of Gideon too. And this is why the Lord wants to show us and wants to remind us today that we can be easily like Gideon. Leading, worshiping others, worshiping, having other gods before us. And leading others to do the same thing. When we look at the life of Gideon, he's remembered for these things. And the people paid him no respect at the end. How many of us here want to be remembered for our faith? 
not for our mistakes. We want to be remembered for our faith, our great faith, right? The great faith that was in the Lord. And we know that with the ephod, from the ephod, they went back to the Baals. And they returned to idol worship. They played the harlot. They committed adultery with the Lord. And they returned to sin. Once again, we see that same cycle, right? The cycle of what? Disobedience, the cycle of discipline, and the cycle of deliverance. This is the mercies of God and the grace of God. But we have this man here, an example for us not to follow, not to be so consumed with the things of this world, but to be consumed with the things of God, to have our minds not on the things of earth, but to have our, our mind on the things and the riches of heaven. For us, if this has spoken to us, if you remember how God was working powerfully through you, how you were exercising great faith and it's not happening anymore, let us get rid of these weights that bring us down. Let us turn away from the sin that so easily ensnares us. What the Bible calls us to do is to acknowledge it, to repent, I mean to acknowledge it, to, to get rid of it, and to walk in it no more. And this is what true repentance is. And this is what I'm going to give you an opportunity to do now. With that, let us close our eyes, bow our heads, and let the Lord just minister to us as he's spoken to us and he's asking us to come back, to come back. Lord, I thank you for revealing to us the life of Gideon, how he ended, Lord. He, ended, he did not end as strong as he once was. He didn't move forward, but he moved backwards. We know that he's still in heaven. We know that he's listed in the hall of faith because of the faith that he has exercised. But we see something that happened to this man. And I pray that this would not be any of us. I pray for those that are here that we would be ministered to, that we would be spoken to, that our hearts would have been just convicted if we see that our lives are not, that our walk in Christ is not as it once was. If there's anyone here that is experiencing this, if there's anyone here that just wants to repent and wants to lay aside these weights to get rid of this sin that it has ensnared you. I'm going to ask that you just make things right with the Lord now. If you want to do this, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this now, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this now? Anyone here? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Anyone else? It's not talking about the days of old. It's talking about the future now. It's not how we start, but how we finish. But we must acknowledge it. We must confess it. And we must no longer walk in it. If there's anyone else that wants to do this, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anyone else? Anyone else? I want this man that is raising your hand, I want you to come forward. I want you to stand right here.
And I want you to repeat these words after me. Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for calling me out, for loving me. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for these weights and, these, and this sin that has just hindered my walk with you. I want to ask for your forgiveness. I want you to come into my heart. I want you to reign in it. I don't want anything else to, to take a hold of it. I just want you to grab it. I want you to live in it. I want you to dwell in me. Lord, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. And all I want to say now is that I thank you and I love you. Holy Spirit, help me to yield to you and to live a life that brings glory and honor to my King. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Wanna, wanna go with him?